You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. EBF family, it is good good to be with you this morning to open up God's word together. And in our time as we do that, we're actually going to look at today's gospel reading. That is, in, if you look at the passages that are part of the lectionary, we've heard already the, um, the Old Testament reading and we've heard the psalm. And so we'll actually be focusing today on a portrait of blessing from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1 verses 36, 39 through 56. And if you're anything like me, you might be coming here. I know that people are coming here from a variety of, of different places, not only physically, but also just mentally and spiritually. And I know with a group of us this size and the things that ha- occurred this week from perhaps our fear, our hearts being gripped by fear in the events at, at uh, ETHS. Um, for me personally, I this uh, this week was one of of loss. My um, my aunt passed away, and I got asked to lead the memorial that took place down in Peoria on uh, on Thursday. And so, talk about this time of year and the collision of like life's sorrows and life's joys. And so, wherever you may be coming from today, I pray that you would indeed hear these words afresh, that we would find hope and solace and comfort in Mary's song, what has been called the Magnificat, here in Luke chapter 1, that we would see, that we would gaze upon this portrait of blessing, and that we would have our hope and our faith renewed in the presence of our God and King. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, make us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For in you we wait all the day long. Comfort our anxious hearts. Reveal your truth to us through your word. Bring hope in the midst of pain and longing. And Father, would you turn our thoughts and affections toward he who is the very giver of life, Jesus himself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. This word blessing is one that kind of has a complicated use these days. We use it in so many different ways. From, every, from everything as mundane as, like, what do we say when someone sneezes? Bless you. That's right. Or in the case of my son, if he sneezes, he says, I blessed. I guess that makes sense. You kind of put the two together. When an athlete is interviewed, oh man, this, this one maybe gets me a little bit. I don't know about you, but often when athletes are interviewed after a huge performance, sometimes we hear this phrase like, oh, I'm just so blessed. So blessed, right? I know I'm guilty of using blessing sometimes as like 
a, uh, a greeting at the end of an email. Blessings, Tim. Are you there? Do you do that? <laughs> Blessings, Tim. I don't mean it that way. More often than not, we use blessed to refer to how we feel. We might say, I feel so blessed. Or even material possessions, like a new house or a car or something like that, we'll say, oh, it's a blessing. Today, as we gaze upon this portrait of blessing in Luke 1, 39 through 56, we are going to see a portrait of someone who is truly blessed beyond measure. And my prayer for us in reading this passage and going through it in more depth is that God would recalibrate our hearts He would tune our hearts to his and that we would think along the same lines when it comes to blessing. And not only what scripture has to say about blessing, but that we would leave ever more committed to be a blessing to those around us. How we, not only how we too can experience God's blessing, but how we can share that same blessing with others. This portrait of blessing is surrounded, it's got a, just an amazing frame that the that the writer, Luke, gives us. And on the canvas, we find two blessings, two portraits in this blessing, one pronounced by Elizabeth and one pronounced by Mary. So let's begin with Elizabeth's blessing in verses 39 through 45. John the Baptist's birth is first foretold in verses 5 through 25. It is a story of hope as Zechariah and Elizabeth eagerly anticipate a child who will help pave the way for the Messiah. And then in turning to the next few verses there, in verses 26 through 38, the birth of Jesus is foretold. It is a story of promise, as the angel Gabriel visits Mary and announces that she will have a child who will be the Son of God. And everything that God promises, He does. He is able to perform. All that he says, he does. And so these two foundational stories become intertwined then in this portrait that we see before us here in this passage. Starting in verse 39, some of this narrative framework. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The angel had told Mary that Elizabeth was going to have a child, verse 36, and so she races to be with Elizabeth to to see God's confirming sign. And at the end of this three-day journey, she goes into their home and greets Elizabeth, But the word of greeting brings a response of joy, a response of blessing. What a beautiful picture, this of the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb. I feel like I have even more context for that now that Danielle is this far along and we feel the baby moving inside of her. Sometimes I wonder if that baby's like doing the backstroke or something, or occasionally we feel like, I don't know if it's a heel or something, just like pow, like especially fun for our kids to like feel you know, feel that movement. But here, she feels the baby leap in her womb. Gabriel had told Zechariah in Luke 1, 15 to 17, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. 
and that he would go before the Lord. So here we have the beginning of this fulfillment as John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, announces that the Messiah is here by leaping in his mother's womb. This is the beginning of his preparing the way for the Messiah, leaping in his mother's womb. Well, Elizabeth, too, is filled with the Holy Spirit. As she says, verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is no, come on in, nice to see you. This is an exuberant and spirit-anointed blessing. And Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is blessed among women. That word for blessed here means to be well-spoken of. It actually, a good example of that that we see in the Old Testament is the ways in which Ruth is well-spoken of in her community, even before she meets Boaz. How her reputation precedes her. She is blessed. She is well-spoken of by those around her. Mary is the most honored of all women because she has the unique privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. And this is made clear by the next part of the blessing. Blessed is the child you will bear. Literally, blessed is the fruit of your womb. It was an idi- this is an idiom for bearing children. But Mary is considered blessed because the child she bears is none other than the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is not a call to praise or bless Mary so much as it is a reminder that she was in a state of blessedness because of the greatness of her son. In recognition of this, Elizabeth expresses humility, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth feels both humbled and surprised to be a part of these life-changing events And perhaps the most remarkable thing about this statement is referring to Mary's child as my Lord. My Lord. She is the first to recognize the Lordship of Christ still within Mary's womb. How did Elizabeth realize all this? Well, maybe Mary sent out a super Pinteresty birth announcement. I don't know. Maybe Mary called Elizabeth before she found out on Facebook. That's generally a good thing to do. Uh, you can laugh at that. That's okay. Or maybe Mary, Mary's greeting included more than a simple hello. Maybe it was, hello, oh, by the way, I'm going to give birth to Emmanuel. Well, Luke gives us the impression that actually Elizabeth perceives this through the Holy Spirit. And as you go through Luke's gospel, the Spirit is the one who reveals and the Spirit is the one who guides. And so in hearing the Spirit's leading in this, Elizabeth perceives, perceives the uniqueness of the son that Mary bears. John and Elizabeth are the first people to realize that the child Mary is carrying is God's Messiah, God's promised one. 
Verse 45 provides the key to why Mary is so blessed. Look at it once more. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The word for blessed here is actually slightly different than the word used above, but very, very similar. It means fortunate, happy, but it has essentially that same meaning. And the reason that Mary is blessed is because of her faith. She believed what God had told her. And in contrast to Zechariah, if you know some of the story previously, she believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She believed that what God said, God would do. And so in the verses that follow, Mary vocalizes such faith as she in turn blesses God. She blesses God. Mary's blessing then, this magnificent praise hymn, is found in verses 46 to 45, or 46 to 56. And a couple of things by way of background here. This really could be considered a praise hymn due to its poetic style, its high vocabulary. It begins with an expression of praise and then gives reasons for praising God. It is one of the few praise hymns in the New Testament, but there's no doubt that it has special significance. It's been called the Magnificat, which is Latin coming from the phrase, my soul magnifies. And it holds a very special place in the hearts of Christians all over the world. And in the Magnificat, Mary weaves together many Old Testament allusions, especially from the Psalms. In the first half, what she does, does in verses 46 through 50, is praise God for the great things he has done for her. And then in verses 51 to 56, Mary praises God for the great things he has done, is doing, and will continue to do for his people. So let's look first at the, the first half of Mary's song, verses 46 to 50. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's blessing begins with this, this banner of praise over it. My soul magnifies the Lord. She rests in God as her savior my soul magnifies the Lord. One of the closest Old Testament parallels is actually that found in 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And in that passage, we find Hannah's prayer. Hannah praises God after the birth and dedication of her son Samuel, and her prayer begins in this way. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. One thing I would encourage you to do this week is actually to, just to, to lay perhaps two Bibles side by side and to look at this prayer and praise up on Hannah's lips in 1 Samuel 2 and that of Mary's in Luke chapter 1. Now, I know some of you are like, I just, I just finished for this semester. What, you're telling me I have homework to do? This is, if, if God so leads you to do this. But 
it is amazing to see the, the similarities between these two songs. And after the call to praise God, Mary shares the reasons for praising God. The first reason that he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, verse 48. Echoing Luke 1:38, where Mary responds to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In between the reasons for praising God, Mary cries, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Throughout history, can I just say this? Throughout history, Christians have often held, have had a tendency to either view Mary too highly or to minimize her too much. We, perhaps within our movement, might find ourselves in the latter, sometimes minimizing Mary too much. Yes, Mary has the distinction of bearing the Savior, but she is also an example of how God pours out his grace upon those who are undeserving. In verse 47, she acknowledges her need for a Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We already see Mary being blessed by others in Luke 11, verses 27 to 28, which says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The second reason that Mary pray, praises God is that the mighty one has done great things for me. Think about what he has already done as revealed in the story. God had already brought Joseph into her life, sent his angel Gabriel to announce that she will have a son, calmed her anxious fears along the way, confirmed the promise by announcing Elizabeth's pregnancy, and the Holy Spirit moved in Elizabeth to pronounce a blessing on her. Mary had confidence that just as God had done great things for her, so he would continue to do great things for those who fear him. His mercy, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 50. You know, the word for mercy here is the Greek word that's used to translate a Hebrew term, a Hebrew term called hesed. That is God's faithful, covenantal, loyal love that he has for his people. And so what takes place here really in the rest of this magnificent song is Mary recounting the love, the loyal love of God in the ways that he has proven faithful time and time again in the history of God's people. His mighty deeds are on display for all to see time and time again. And so each of these verses in verses 51 to 55 is an expression of God's loyal love today on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we, we remember God's love demonstrated not only in sending his son, but in Jesus willingly giving himself in love and purchasing a place for you and for me through nothing other than his precious blood. Let us recount his loyal love even as we hear these words, starting in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You know, at first glance, in hearing those words, we might think that Mary is recounting all of the great things that God has done for his people throughout history. And that is certainly part of what she is doing. She has his mighty deeds in mind. But what complicates matters a little bit is actually the the tenses of the verbs. I know I'm kind of, you know, geeking out over this a little bit, so bear, bear with me. But the tense of the verbs that she uses is really interesting. When you, when you peel back the layers, Mary here dis, is describing what God will do through Christ as if it has already taken place. Describing what God will do as if it has already taken place. She is so certain that they will be accomplished that she treats them like events in the past. One way of thinking about this is, say your boss comes to you and, and says, you know, I'd like, I'd like you to, to tackle this particular project, or, you know, I need, I need this done. And we might say something, we might respond by saying, it's already done, right? It's already done. Although technically you haven't accomplished it yet, you're confident that it will happen. Confident enough to say, it's already done. That's a picture of what's taking place here in these verses. When the, with the coming of Jesus, God's kingdom has broken into this world. And Mary looks forward to God's final vindication with such confidence that she declares, it's already done. It's already done. So all at once we can say that God has done is doing, and will continue to do these mighty deeds. I think the key as well to these verses is the great reversals that take place. This is actually a prominent theme within Luke's gospel as well. Did you notice those? The great reversals. What's down is up. What's up is down. The proud, the rulers, the rich are scattered, brought down, sent away. The humble, the empty, the servant are those who are lifted up, filled, helped. The arrogance of the proud will be exposed, and those in power will be brought down. One of Luke's favorite contrasts is those between, or the contrast between those in high positions and those in low positions. And God cares for those who are often ignored by the powerful. What the rich have will be taken from them. And the basis for God's vindication of those who fear him is his mercy expressed to Abraham and his descendants. God's promise to Abraham is found in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where we, 1 through 3, where we hear God promising Abraham land, descendants, and blessing. The proud, the rich, The rulers will be scattered, brought down, sent away empty. The humble, the empty, the servant will be lifted up, helped, filled. Well, the rest of the portraits, can I just call it like the narrative framework around it, is found in verse 56. 
It simply says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Although it doesn't say this here, these three months plus the six months of verse 26, I'm not really good at math, but seem to indicate that Mary stayed long enough to see John's birth. Very well could have been. But ultimately, Mary believed in God and experienced his grace. Not because she somehow deserved it. It was all because of the child that she bore. Blessing comes to those ultimately, who believe in God. May we take God at his word. And she believed that his promises were true. Mary's life calls us as well to trust and to respond to God's word. Mary recognized the great things God has already done. And this provided her with assurance and confidence in what God would continue to do. She looked forward to the final vindication of God's people with the confidence as if it had already happened. Will we follow suit? Church, uh, it all comes down to this. Those who believe that God does great things and fulfills his promises are truly blessed beyond measure, deeply and fundamentally blessed. The blessing that we experience in knowing God, though, is not a pain-free, smooth-sailing life. Nor does it mean that we are guaranteed comfort, that we are guaranteed material wealth and well-being. Unfortunately, that's often what is meant when people use this term blessed. Instead, we can have confidence knowing that when we trust in Christ, we are given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 reminds us of that very fact. And actually, the rest of Ephesians 1 goes on to recount many of those blessings that we have redemption, that we, we have been adopt as, adopted as sons and daughters of the king. His great grace on display. The reality is that all believers are truly blessed, but we look forward to that day when the great reversals will be complete and all will be made right. And so in light of this, in light of this fundamental truth, two challenges for us to consider. And the first is that Experiencing God's blessing should propel us to praise him just like it did for Mary. Mary believed in God. She believed that his promises were true. And as a result, she experienced his blessing. But she didn't stop there. Experiencing God's blessing caused her to erupt into praise. Praise toward her God and King. May God's praises be ever on our lips and in our hearts, may we glorify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior, just like Mary. God has indeed done great things for us. You perhaps, some, it would be wonderful to spend some time this week, especially in this season, recounting, being reminded of all the great things that God has done for you, the things that he has done for your family, but the greatest of which is rescuing us from sin and giving us new life through his son. In a few short moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. We are reminded on a weekly basis of this, this Jesus, Jesus giving himself in love. God has indeed done great things, and the greatest of which is rescuing us through his son. 
And so experiencing God's blessing should not only propel us to praise Him, but it should, it should propel us to tell others. There's a great song around this Christmas time. I think we're going to even work it in next week. It's Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go Tell It on the Mountain. What's the point of keeping God's blessing for ourselves? We should desire for everyone around us to experience God's blessing. I'm praying for each and every one of you as you head to your, especially around this time when you head to various gatherings, when you're around family members that perhaps don't know Christ, may God use us as agents of his grace and of his love in and among our families and in, even in the midst of these family gatherings. Would the gospel flow? Let us be a people who love to tell the story. God created us and loves us. He made us to enjoy a perfect relationship with him. But we rebelled against our creator and that relationship became ruptured, broken. Reconciliation basically means to make a ruptured relationship right. To make a ruptured relationship right. And that is what God has done through his son. He did not leave us in this state, but he sent his son into this world to share in humanity, to suffer and to die and to rise again so that you and I could be reconciled, redeemed, and renewed. And if you've never trusted in Christ, would today be the day? I can think of no better time of the year in which to do this even as we reflect on this mystery, this magnificent truth of God made flesh. Believe in Jesus Christ, he who has given himself in love so that we can be rescued, redeemed, and renewed. If you have questions, perhaps, or maybe you've been wrestling with this great truth, this, this magnificent mystery, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure there are others here as well, any of our elders, staff here, I love to tell the old, old story. I would love to walk with you if there are particular questions, if there are perhaps dominoes that are in front of you right now on that path to faith. God sent his one and only son into this world to redeem us. And those who believe that God has done great things and that he fulfills his promises, are deeply and fundamentally blessed. We are blessed not because of anything having to do with us, but because of everything having to do with Christ. God has done, is doing, and will continue to do great things. And blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for this magnificent song. These words on the lips of your servant, Mary. And Father, would you capture us anew with these words? Would you cause us to recount the ways in which you have proven faithful time and time again? Lord, we praise you for all that you have done. We thank you for how you are currently at work in our lives, in our church, in this community and beyond. 
And we thank you for what you will continue to do to make all things right for your own glory and to make all things new, to bring unity to all things, things in heaven above and things on earth. So in in the in-between, Lord, we ask for your comfort, for your strengthening and equipping to the task to go tell it on the mountain. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.